So good afternoon, everybody. It's Pat Zemer with MagnaWave. I appreciate you joining us today. And I've got with me Michael Davis from PEMF Systems, who is the manufacturer of the MagnaWave device. He's been involved in the manufacture of such devices for some 20 years or so, I believe. And uh, so we're going to have an opportunity to ask him questions and talk a little bit about the MagnaWave and PEMF and uh, how it facilitates to heal, help heal the body and how it functions. So I guess with that, I'd, what I'd like to do first is to uh, ask Michael to give us a little background on himself and the company. Michael, thank you. Good morning. Can you hear everybody hear me okay? Yep, we got you. Uh, okay. Yep. okay. Um, my academic background is not medical at all. My academic background is physics. At one point, I was actually literally a rocket scientist. And about 25 years ago, my parents were having back problems, each of them different back problems. And I had a friend uh, whose father worked for the FDA. And he said, you have to talk your parents into going to this pain clinic in Beverly Hills. There's this machine there from Greece. It's just amazing in its ability to heal and deal with pain. And I did talk my parents into going there. And they, they each experienced a miraculous cure of their pain. And that was the original high-power pulsed magnetic therapy machine. It was Papimi from Greece. Very unreliable machine, but medically it was quite excellent. Later, my friend whose father had told me about this machine had his own back problems and got surgery instead and his back got worse and a second surgery and his back didn't get better and finally went to use his Greek machine and was miraculously healed. He became a zealot for the machine, went to Athens, talked to the manufacturer into giving him a North American continent exclusive distributorship, and in the next eight years sold over 300 Papimi machines at $59,000 a piece. But they were very, very unreliable. So during a major portion of, of Chuck's um, distributorship, he was begging me to please design and manufacture in America a more reliable machine that did this category of therapy. So I got into this business as a result of seeing my both of my parents' miraculous healings and Chuck's and seeing during his eight-year distributorship a, an amazing uh, amount of healings. He had a, a clinic where he was running a clinical trial. So that's how I actually got into this business. And since then, uh, I've been interested in the science of it, and the fact that it gets medical results never ceases to amaze me, but it's, to me, it's still a physics project. <laughs> Good. Thank you. And, uh, folks, I want to tell you, if you have a question, if you'll enter your name in the chat box and with a question mark behind it, I will open your microphone, and uh, then you can ask, ask your question, and we can discuss it at that point in time, if you have any specific questions that you would like to ask Michael. And in order to start, I will ask Michael, uh, can you tell us, Mike, from your perspective, the physiology of how the machine works so well uh, on the body? Well, it, it's really interesting. If you do a Google or Yahoo search for how does pulse magnetic therapy work and read 30 different articles, you'll get 30 different answers. And the truth is, is that all the answers are accurate. There is no one main thing this does. It's a bunch of small improvements in the body chemistry and the body physiology that symbiotically together cause the results. 
one of the primary things, and, and since my academic background is physics, I tend to look at things physically. One of the primary things this does is it opens cell membrane permeability. The main source of pain is inflammation. So if the cells can breathe better, the inflammation can dissipate and the pain goes away. So people see this as a pain reduction device. It's not. It's an inflammation reduction device. And if you reduce the inflammation, you just don't have pain anymore. So also, since the cells can breathe better, obviously oxygen and nutrients in easier, waste products and carbon dioxide out easier. And if you read on the internet, you'll find that pulse magnetic therapy is a catalyst for all the body's normal chemical reactions. And the reason it's a catalyst is because it allows better intracellular fluids migration. So the normal chemical processes can happen more readily if the fluids can migrate intracellularly more freely. There's, a, there's also a bunch of other things it does. Uh, it improves the electrical energy of the cells. It improves the magnetic energy of the cells. It does a lot of, a lot of different things, like which I said, like in concert together, get the results. Thank you very much for that for that uh, explanation, Michael. And, it, and we've had that conversation many times, and we use it in our training. If we can have better oxygenation of the blood cells and, and help reduce inflammation, it's naturally going to help reduce pain. So I have the microphones open if anyone has a question that they would uh, like to ask at this time. Well, I have a question. And this is, okay, doc okay this is Dr. Alice Maybank. So, um... Michael or Mr. Davis, I thank you for talking to us today. And I still like to get down to that scientific root of how it works. And I know it does all these things like oxygenation, and that improves because of membrane permeability changes. But in your world of physics, how is it doing that? I mean, I, I think I know, but I want to hear it from you so that I'm passing really concise basic science on myself there's there's purely mechanically if, if you force fluids through a clogged membrane like uh, mm -hmm. like back flushing a swimming pool filter it unclogs the membrane so in the mechanical squeezing or, or contractions of the cells it's mechanically forcing fluids both directions to the cell membrane so it's mechanically unclogging the cellular permeability. Second and separate, completely separately, there's these things called ion channels. And ion channels are a opening between the inside and the outside of the cells. And one of the ways these ion channels open is electrical energy. The body does it with its own electrical energy or the pulse magnetic therapy machine induces electrical energy into the cells and opens ion channels. So there's two separate distinct ways that the cells breathe better. And is that kind of like through um, an energy gradient across the cell membrane that you're opening the ion channels or helping with okay. any of the so electrons? Do you know how a transformer works? A transformer has two windings. It has a primary winding of wire and a secondary winding, and they're not electrically connected. The first winding converts the electrical energy into magnetic energy, and the second winding converts the magnetic energy back into electrical energy. So think mm -hmm. of the coil of the machine as the primary winding of a transformer. 
and the cells of your body are the secondary windings. So by Faraday's law of induction, it's actually inducing electrical energy into the cells by the rate of change of magnetic energy. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks, Alice. That was a great question. Uh, anyone else have a question they'd like to ask Michael at this time? All microphones are open. I'll, I'll ask a question, Michael, that, that a lot of times people always ask is, how come it's so fast? That's the thing that when I first started with MagnaWave, the thing that really helped us grow was the fact that the results were so quick. Can Isn't you that weird? It, it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. The answer is nobody knows the answer to that, <laughs> and it is, and and it, it is amazing to see someone with tennis elbow within five minutes have like eighty percent range of motion. It's just freaky to me every time. So, oh, so which, which brings us to another thing. We've talked about increasing cell membrane permeability. In the mechanical contractions of the cells, is also flexing the cell membrane. It's exercising the cell membrane, which improves the flexibility of the cell membrane within minutes. So that's a second uh, area of, of improvement. The secondary cause of pain is running up against the limits of range of motion. So if you improve the range of motion, again, the pain just isn't there anymore. And so one of the reasons the horses run faster is because their inflammation is reduced. The other reason the horses run faster is because the cell membrane flexibility is improved and it actually physically improves their stride by a tiny, tiny little bit. But in the course of going around the racetrack, that's when you're losing. Well, or when you're going to go over a jump that gives you better range of motion to better flexation Absolutely. to go over the jump or around the barrels, whatever the situation, whatever the situation may be. And, and that brings well, and me another thing. We've gone, we've gone to dressage events, and I would not expect dressage horses to experience much different. People came back after the, after their events and said, my horse has never behaved so well in the ring. Exactly, and that is a comment that we receive all the time. Can you address a little bit the uh, situation where sometimes we'll get into a conversation with, with a doctor or a health professional, and the question is, you can you can overdo it and tire the cells or tire the muscle membrane. Kate? I I would I would disagree with that. Okay. That if you if you overdo it, the worst thing that happens is you're wasting time. With the exception that for his 91st birthday, I gave my dad one of these machines, and he called me up a week later and he said, you know, I've had a stomachache for the last week, and I said, tell me about it. He said, well, it doesn't matter if I stand up, sit down, eat, don't eat. It doesn't. Uh, it, my stomach hurts. I said, go inside. Locate it. Where is it? He says, it looks more towards the front of my stomach. I said, really, really, go inside. Close your eyes. Think about it. Where is, where, where is your stomach ache? And he said, oh, my God, I have sore stomach muscles. So <laughs> none of us has a strong enough core muscles. If you overdo it, you could actually cause sore muscles but that, that the only time i've ever seen that was with my 91 year old dad you know and and we've had that before where and people i've had it with men when i first started doing this i would treat a man and treat his back and he'd say my gosh that feels so good turn it up give me more well it, it kind of equates that i would do that and then it, someone we have a ringing coming from someone but i would i would treat this person and he would say turn it up that feels so good 
and afterwards he would be sore. And I equated that to much like a, a, a uh, when you get a deep tissue massage, when you go to the massagist, masseuse, and you get a deep tissue massage, most of the time you're sore after the massage and you feel so much better the next day. And, and so, but we don't have to do that. We can keep it lower, a little more constant and, and have that without that muscle stress. Right. And, and more is not better in this case. You do not have to, you do not have to rock and quake, you know, people or animals to get results. Right. And, and that also equates in your thoughts, please, Michael. Sometimes people say, how long should I treat? And I'll say, well, seven to eight minutes, if you're treating a specific area or 10 or 12 minutes, but much more than 15 minutes if you're in a given area is overkill. The body only needs so much energy in that area. On the people machine, for the last 15 years, we have sold them with fixed three-minute timers, period. And the truth is, three minutes is enough. Oh, which brings us to another topic. If they're going to use it for longer, you should reorient the coil. There's magnet, magnetic energy has polarity. So orienting the coil on a couple, couple different directions, like on top of the horse's back and then on its side, the coils are 90 degrees to each other. It is, it is flexing the cells on a different axis. So it really does help to move the coil around uh, in different positions in the same area. Thank you. Uh, we received a question someone put in the, uh, uh, Dr. Maybank put into the uh, chat area, Michael, dealing with contraindications. Yes. You know, certainly yeah. around, go ahead. Okay. So here, so what happens over the course of our lifetime or an animal's lifetime, toxins come into our body and our body's supposed to stuff them off and get rid of them. Our body does get rid of part of them, but our bodies are lazy. Our bodies store toxins away in fat cells like toxic waste dumps. So since this is opening the cell membrane permeability, the cells can breathe better, the toxins can get out. In the bigger picture, this is a good thing. But in the beginning, you don't want to let too many toxins out the first time. So we tell people in the fatty areas of the body, like not an ankle or something, to not use the machine more than three minutes the first time and six minutes the second and the third time and nine minutes, you know, because you don't want to detoxify too much at one time. It's good to detoxify, but you don't want to turn everything loose in the body and one fell swoop. So one contraindication would be uh, to be judicious the first couple times you're using this uh, to not detoxify too much. Another would be we've already talked about you. This is exercise at the cellular level. You could actually, um, uh, you know, cause for muscles. Another one would be uh, metallic implants. Pulses of magnetic energy will, over a period of time, heat up metal. So where there's a metallic implant, you don't want to use the machine more than a two or three minutes at one time and then wait three or five minutes and then use it another two or three minutes because you don't want heat buildup in the metallic implants. Um, chemicals that are in your body. Since this improves cell uh, membrane uh, permeability and allows inter better intracellular fluid migration, any chemicals that are in your body are more functional. It doesn't matter if it's coffee, alcohol, or a pharmaceutical pain pill. Uh, I have seen people just they're, they're taking pain they're taking pain medications or they're taking uh, anti-anxiety medications. After three or four minutes of using the machine, just like fall asleep in a stupor and could not wake them up for 10 or 15 minutes because the chemicals that are in their body are being more active. That's 
pretty much the only contraindications, although from a business viewpoint, uh, I have seen hundreds of pregnant women be treated, but from a business viewpoint, it's not a good idea to treat pregnant women because what if they were going to miscarry this week anyway, and coincidentally, they happen to use one of these machines. So just, uh, it's just not a good practice to uh, treat people who have uh, malignant cancer or uh, are pregnant, it, although I'm, I'm comfortable myself that it won't hurt it. You're opening yourself to a potential liability. Correct, because we know that they're used quite a bit for treating various diseases that uh, we don't necessarily support because we don't. No one wants that particular liability. Another quite, question. Quite a few can cancer clinics have my machine. Quite a few of them, and they found that they can reduce chemotherapy materials by seventy-five percent right. and get the same results. That's incredible. Uh, there's another yeah. question, Michael, that was posted. Uh, what about using it on patients with seizures? People with with um, have, uh, epilepsy, that type of thing. I understand there's a there's a difference in in signals and frequencies, how that affects the body. I have uh, I might have turned my research assistant loose a couple times trying to find contraindications, and that one has not come up before, uh, and I've never heard any feedback from anyone that that's been an issue. It, it go ahead, Alice. I think you have a question. Well, Oh, yes, you know, I certainly would agree that there are a lot of things this is good for, but you don't want to take the risk, unfortunate for the patient in need, that there would be a coincidental event. But it is out there on um, the Internet, uh, uh, you know, a list of precautions. I think I sent you that list once. Yes. Because I thought it was an excessively longer list than, you know, uh, what we did, which was usually avoid pregnant women and loose jewelry and implants and things. But one of the uh, things was not to use it for seizures or patients who might have seizures, and yet I have found it to actually reduce the amount of seizuring in seizure patients. And also uh, things not using it for cancer and, and all these things were, were it's actually amenable to. I just would like to have uh, a better answer. I'll always use my own clinical judgment and, and character judgment when I want to treat these patients. But is there, again, I, a response to that? What, you know, yeah, yeah I, I think from a business, yeah, from a business viewpoint, um, you want to be careful not to open yourself to liability. But I, I personally uh, don't see, haven't ever heard of anyone that has seizures having an issue using pulse magnetic therapy. Again, just like I haven't ever heard of anyone who is pregnant having an issue using it. Mm -hmm. But just, it's, from a business viewpoint, it's probably just not a good practice, which is a shame because some patients aren't going to get treatment that might help them. Exactly, that's the sad thing. And and um, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, Michael and Pat, I just, uh, I'm going to have to leave because I have another appointment. I want to thank you both very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, um, Michael, that does bring up a, another question that was out here. What about rumors of depleting vitamins, magnesium, with prolonged usage? I've never heard that it would deplete uh, vitamins. Uh, what What do you think there, Michael? I don't, I don't see how it changes anything that's in your body. Although it, it does, it clearly even the U.S. FDA has approved five pulse magnetic therapy devices for bone healing, so it actually helps bones heal faster and stronger. Uh, but I don't. See
see depleting minerals in your body. I've never heard of that one, actually. It, I, I would only think that it would be just much like we talked about how it can enhance the effect of a particular uh, medication that you have or something that you have in your system. I, I don't see where it would deplete at all a, a vitamin uh, situation. No, I don't see how it would deplete anything, actually. And another question that does come up and has come up today is uh, cardiac issues like AFib. Okay, so, so my dad had a uh, arrhythmia in his heart. And uh, he said, do you think this would help or hurt my arrhythmia? I said, well, you know, you're old. Why don't you, you know, try it? You know, you're going to die sometime soon anyway. So he, he, he took the, the double loop, the, the joint loop, and uh -huh. held it in front of his heart for uh, about uh, a month and a half. And his next doctor's appointment, his doctor was checking him out, and he looked at the chart and checked him out and looked at his chart. He says, God, I show here that you have an arrhythmia, but you don't have an arrhythmia. So it actually completely got rid of, healed my dad's heart arrhythmia. That's, <laughs> that's pretty interesting. Uh, I have not had any issues either with regard to that. And uh, from our personal perspective, uh, my wife does have a wire mesh uh, hole repair in her heart. And, um, and she has, um, has had an ascending aortic, aortic aneurysm. And so she's always treated herself right in that same area for her back, which the machine virtually uh, helps her be comfortable all the time and she's never had an issue with that. I will share that the last time she went to the doctor to check her ascending aortic aneurysm that she's had since 2001, uh, it was gone. Now we've never heard of anything like that happening, but the aneurysm was gone and they typically don't go away. They only get bigger. So that was kind of amazing from our perspective. Uh, I did have one person uh, uh, write on the uh, chat room that they do treat a horse with arrhythmia. Uh, so that's an interesting area to have covered that we can uh, potentially uh, uh, be able to use in our practices and, and as we uh, travel around treating horses, small animals, and people. Uh, Michael, how have you seen uh, over the years with the there are many, there are low power devices and high power devices, and we get such a quick response uh, as sometimes compared to a low power device. Where do you see the middle being there? That's a, that's a good question. Uh, I exhibit every year at the world's largest medical equipment uh, exhibition and conference in Dusseldorf, Germany. It's called Medica. Last year, there were five other manufacturers of machines of a similar power level to our machine. Uh, all at drastically higher prices, like $45,000 to $110,000. And there were about 40 or 45 manufacturers of low-power pulse magnetic therapy devices also exhibiting. The low-power devices work. They don't get the quick instantaneous results that the higher power does, but they do work. It's not like they're ineffective. They are effective. It does not take as much power as our device for the healing portion. If you want the quick pain relief portion and the quick range of motion improvement, the higher power does work better. But it doesn't heal any better. The lower power devices heal.
So I, so what I'm hearing you tell me is that the, and we've had this happen where people have low power devices. We'll go in and treat the horse or treat the small animal. What I say, get ahead of the injury and then use a different device. If they have something that they're using on their own to help speed the healing along at that point. But so often it's important yeah. to get ahead of it first. And that's where we're so effective with sports injuries and that type of thing. We can get after it immediately and then help it with other things. Correct. Correct. The lower, the lower power devices are not toys, and they're not ineffective. They do work. Um, what is the advantage of the new devices that allow two wands at once? Um, it allows you to treat two areas of a horse or the body at once. We have a coupler that we can that you can get uh, that allows you to use two different uh, devices at two different wands at the same time. Michael is working on some machines, and you can uh, get into that, Michael. That will allow us to use two different wands at one time. The issue becomes, from my perspective, is if you're treating a horse's back and you want to treat the the uh, knee at the same time, you can do that with two different coils with the coupler that we have. But the problem is you might want more intensity on the knee than you're using on the back. So you don't right. have you don't have that intensity variation that you can control. So yes, you can do it, but sometimes you want more intensity in one area than you have in another. And so that's, hope that answers your question. Michael, your thoughts? Uh, yes. <laughs> also, when you have two coils, output coils plugged in, you're dividing the energy of the machine between those, so the treatment time to get the same results would double. So the truth is, if you treat the two areas independently at the higher power for half the time, or treat them both combined for twice the time, it's the same overall treatment time. And like Pat says, you don't have the ability to turn it up in areas that you need more energy and to still keep it low enough in the other areas you're treating. So to again, to answer the question, it is possible to do that. And some devices have that capability kind of built in, but they're, you're really losing some effect with that. It's quicker. You can quick, quick, quick treat the horse quicker or treat the animal quicker or the person and move on. But you do lose some control. And the same it's not, person. It's not necessarily quicker because remember, the power is half as much in each of the coils. Treat twice, twice as long to get the same results. So the overall treatment time actually should be the same. Gotcha. So when we use two coils, we're weakening the impulse. It's going to take yes. longer. Yes. Okay. So um, there you go. So use one coil, treat two areas, and change the intensity and do it faster. Right. Um, and okay, here's a question from Rick. How come this therapy isn't more widely known and talked about considering its healing power? Well, you know, <laughs> Michael, go ahead. Tell me what you think. <laughs> here's the answer to that. You and I live in a very backward country medically. <laughs> there you like go. Like I told you, I, I exhibit at a trade show that has 50 different manufacturers of pulse magnetic therapy machines exhibiting in the same trade show. This is a very normal mainstream therapy in every country in the world except America. <laughs> uh, we live in the chemical medicine nation. Our, what we're allowed to see and hear about as medicine is controlled by politics and politics are controlled by political campaign contributions as in the pharmaceutical industry. So machines that heal are hard to get uh, approved in America. They're a threat to the pharmaceutical industry. 
Sorry, my prejudice is showing here, huh? Yeah, <laughs> but that that is that is very interesting, and and you're so you're so right. When we've been overseas in Dubai and different places in in Germany, it's just it's just widely accepted. It's just there, totally. and they and they use it. Uh, as you said, in America, it's a little different different situation. Um, so I, it, that, but that was a very good question, and it's a question that's that's quite often asked. I did have someone share with me, and Mike, maybe you could look at this, uh, with things changing medically in the United States and people starting to look more at wellness and prevention. We're seeing, uh, are we seeing a opening up with the FDA approaching wellness we, we devices? Are. We are. I'm I'm doing um, three clinical trials. One is already contracted and paid for with the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine, and it's on myalgia and arthralgia of the knee. We're doing another in with the Veterans Administration on healing of pressure wounds, which are bed sores. And as soon as I finish either of those clinical trials, my device will be US FDA approved. That's the, that's the final frontier. And it's a reasonable request on the part of the FDA. They want me to prove that my particular device gets results, not that the category of therapy gets results and therefore they should approve my device. So it's not, an, it's not that hard a hurdle, but since there's already lots of these kind of machines approved in Europe, their burden of proof is not the same because they already accept these. And I'm the I'm the first one to apply in what the FDA calls the, the category is magnetotherapy. And there's nobody that's approved yet in magnetotherapy. So I can't point to what they call a predicate device, someone that's already approved, and say, I'm like them, therefore you should approve me. Since I'm the the my competitors out there making pulse magnetic therapy machines in America are all trying to claim their devices aren't medical devices and don't need FDA approval. Not a single one of them submits their product for safety testing. I do. Not a single one of them is filing or trying to wade their way through the FDA. I am. And they're not being unreasonable. They're just being, they just want me to prove that my device gets results. Like I said, it's not unreasonable. Michael, perhaps you could give us a little bit of a background on the safety testing, on the FCC testing with regard to frequencies and that type of stuff, and how you, how far you go to to make sure that we're above uh, above the fray and in good operating manner. So the standards are very clearly defined in Europe, and America uh, copied since since there's a lot of pulse magnetic therapy machines in Europe. So America copied uh, pretty much the European standards. And one of the things, well, you obviously have to prove that your machine's not going to shock anybody or burn the building, uh, burn the building down. Uh, you also have to prove uh, that it's not going to interfere with radio and televisions. And you have to prove that it's not going to put uh, garbage back into the mains, back into the utility grid. So there's all these, all these tests. It's about $32,000 for safety testing for one of these machines. And then you get your little UL type sticker uh, to, to put on the machine. And we do that, and nobody else in America does. Interesting. How about the uh, the 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 area where you manufacture and the FCC? My factory is my factory has what's called an ISO one three four eight five certification. My factory is a licensed, tested, inspected medical device manufacturing factory, and the FDA inspects it regularly. And the European government actually inspects my factory since I'm shipping a lot of machines to Europe. So the, the facility also has to be approved as well as the machine has to be approved. 
Okay. Michael, one area that, that we talk about, and you and I have talked about a little bit, do that. Michael, one area that I'd like for you to address, and you and I have talked about it quite a bit lately, and it comes down to where people ask the invariable question, what is the frequency of the device? What frequency can I adjust it to? And we look at frequency more as a number of clicks per, per second, as opposed to a particular frequency, like a radio frequency. Can you address that for us, please? Yes. Uh, frequency medicine is clearly a category of medicine. There's, you know, Rife generators, there's Likowski multi-wave oscillators, there's Tesla coils, there are, there's frequency-specific microcurrent. Those devices all use an oscillating waveform, a continuously changing waveform. Pulse magnetic therapy devices, however, have a little very short spike of magnetic energy, then blank space where there's nothing and then a little spike of magnetic energy, and then a mostly blank space. Our device is off over 98% of the time. It's less than 2% of the time there's even any impulse there at all. So I do not consider pulse magnetic therapy frequency medicine. But people still keep wanting to ask, how, what, what frequency should I use? And I personally don't think it's about frequency. The reason our device changes pulse rate it's because the longer it charges, the slower the pulse rate, the stronger the pulse is. So we're truly really trying to control the intensity. We're not trying to control the pulse rate or frequency. Okay. I hope that answers everyone's question because I know it's a question that everyone seems to have at some point or another with regard to the frequency output of the device. And as, right. you, know, as you and I have discussed, it, it, it is approved by the FCC with regard to not messing with radio signals or, or anything yes. like that. Another question Absolutely. I like, another question for you, Michael, and people have had this, can I get too much exposure to this machine? Am I not getting a huge amount of exposure when I use this? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I don't think you can get too much exposure. Like I said, you could get sore muscles or you could get certain, you know, certain things happening, but I don't think that you can overexpose yourself um, at all to this kind of therapy. You were telling me once about how long you'd have to be exposed to pick up one second of the exposure that oh, you get yeah, from a microwave. Yeah. Um, the, the machine, I, I can't remember the figures right now, but the machine would have to be on roughly 11 hours to get one second of on time. This machine is only on for like four millionths of a second, then it's off for 249,000 millionths of a second, and then it's on for like a couple millionths of a second again. So the, the actual on time is almost non-existent percentage-wise. So as you said, you'd have to be 11 to 17 hours of exposure before you got one second of the same exposure that you'd get from a microwave or a television? Correct. Well, not a television, but from a, a uh, MRI or a microwave or something like that, right? Okay. That, that's... We, think of, we, we think of televisions, if you're thinking of a CRT television, maybe. <laughs> who, who has a picture tube television set anymore? Right. There you go. The, well, the I, liquid crystal television sets don't 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 emit stuff. I, w I was renting a house in in uh, West Palm Beach a couple of weeks ago uh, while I was down there working, and it had a couple of tube TVs, so it kind of tells you. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's right. Uh, does anyone else have? We want to take this opportunity with Michael because he's been so gracious to spend this time with us today. 
to answer these types of questions that you have. And people ask me and then, and Michael, what happens is they say, well, okay, well, what about the guy that designed this and does this? Well, okay, let's get Michael on the phone because, you know, I've learned a lot from you and I try to share that with the people, but sometimes they want to get it straight from the source. <laughs> Should I buy one or rent one? Well, Rick, uh, that's the question. And that's, uh, we can discuss that if you'd like to do that. And uh, both of those opportunities are available to you. Uh, uh, let's see, here's a question. Okay, do you have any plans on coming out with a less expensive consumer version? Uh, Michael, is that something you want to uh, talk about? Yes, uh, I have two consumer versions that are um, through the design stage, and I've shown them at trade shows in Germany already, and they're being submitted for FDA testing uh, within the and safety testing within the next uh, week or week and a half. Uh, one of them is a retail price of $6,200, and the other, which is a much lower power device, is a retail of $2,200. Okay, so we are going to uh, uh, head down that road to have lower price consumer versions available, um, which is which is good news. Right. Does answer your question. Any other questions, anyone? Pat, this is Jen Burton. My question, I, I'm new at this, Michael. I just um, got my machine a few months ago, and I've, I've just started my business, so I'm, I'm learning as I'm going. I just got certified. So, as I'm working on the horses, I've noticed that, um, in the uh, certification class, Pat had said that if there was a lot of activity uh, with the pulses, you know, a lot of bumping um, with uh -huh. the pulses, that there's, that there's probably a problem there in that area. And there's other parts of the horse that when I put it on there, even at low frequency, there's no movement at all. And so I'm trying to understand so I can explain it to the clients. Is, is a lot of movement on a low frequency what you're looking for, or are you looking for less, or are you looking for somewhere in the middle of none well, and a lot? If I may, what you're looking for, Jen, is when you have – and, Michael, this is what I say, and so you can tell me what, how you feel. I kind of compare it to an MRI machine sends a signal down into the tissues to the molecular level, and that re brings back a picture. In our situation, we'll send the signal down into the tissue, stimulate the molecules, and if there's some sensitivity there, it'll come back as a reverberation into the muscle area to show us where the horse or the animal or the person may be a little more sensitive. A person feels it. A horse can show us. Okay, so, so that, that, that bumping is, is not good? Well, well, actually, there are parts of our bodies and parts of horses' bodies that are more sensitive and less sensitive, like the hoof and our feet are way less sensitive. You can crank the thing up full power on a hoof or a, or a person's foot, and they, won't, they will barely feel it. It doesn't mean it's not working. It just means that that part of the body is not as reactive. Like in humans, the lower back is very sensitive in all of us. And just because you can't turn it up very strong in the lower back doesn't mean that there's a problem there necessarily. It means that that's a more sensitive part of the body. As you treat more and more horses, you'll notice which parts of a, all the horses' bodies are more sensitive and which are less sensitive, and you'll be able to notice this horse is more sensitive in a certain area than other horses I've treated. Then, then you'll notice that's an issue area. But just because it's more sensitive 
doesn't mean necessarily there's a problem there because parts of bodies are more sensitive and less sensitive than other parts of bodies. And, and that is correct. But Jen, what we've learned over the years is when we're treating a back of a horse and you get some movement and you go to the other side of the horse or you go two or three inches to the left or right and that movement goes away, you can see that they're more sensitive there for some reason. Okay. And, and, yeah, what, and, and while we don't diagnose, we want to be very careful not to diagnose because we're not practicing medicine or diagnosing, but we're looking for, in many instances, where there can be some sensitivity. Now, you know that you can turn the machine up to cause movement all the time. And, Correct. and yeah. that's where when I when I teach, I try to have it turn it down and move. And then you if you pick up a little movement, then you can see what's going on and maybe increase a little bit to see how much more sensitive it is there than two inches away. Right. And that's how I've been starting is I have it down low and I just kind of move it over the horse on one side just to see where things are, are moving more than others. And then if it's moving a lot, it's sometimes a lot of irregular pulsing. Right. And, like and, and over time, over time, you'll figure that out and you'll be able to make comparisons between diagonally with the shoulder and the hip and all this kind of stuff to, to, to help gauge and learn what you're seeing and what you're reading. Okay. Okay. I just wasn't sure if that, if the, if the uh, reaction was something was definitely not right or if that was, because it's, it's only in certain parts of the horse and it's not on all of them. That well, that's correct. It, it in a, in the in the sense of the word, we would we would say, or someone would look at that and say, well, there's sensitivity there for some reason. Could there be an underlying condition? And there could be. Does that mean there always is? No, but there could be, and that's what that's kind of what the machine allows us to look at and allows it to to show. Um, so, go, go ahead. Then? Pardon me. Would you definitely areas then? Sure. If if you show if you ran into that sensitivity, that would be an area that you would kind of treat. But if you're doing a horse treatment, you're treating that area anyway. So you're just moving okay. to look for the sensitivity. And that's a question that people always ask. It's a little sensitive there, and you treated it. Is it going to be gone forever? No, because of what Michael just said. Some horses are more sensitive in some areas than others. But I've found that the next day you come back and they may not be sensitive there. They may be sensitive somewhere else because they've been worked or trained since you last treated them. And that's what I'm finding, too, is that they're sensitive in the shoulder area and I work on them and I come back the next week. Either it's not as sensitive or it's not there at all, but then it's now sensitive a little further up the neck. And, and they're working once some, a person once asked me, you might, you're going to treat my horse with a sore back. Are you done? Are you going to ever going to have to come back? Is it going to be over forever? And I ask them, are you going to ride the horse tomorrow? And they say, yes. And I say that I'll probably see you next week. And you know, that's, that's how it kind of plays out. There was another question. Thank you, Jennifer. Did that answer your question? Yes, sir. Thank you. Okay, great. Uh, there is uh, another question here. Uh, do small animal vets, use these routinely or just large animals to answer your question rick and then maybe uh, uh michael can add some of this to this as well uh over the years <clears throat> the horse business has been kind of where we were and but small animal vets more and more increasingly are using this device because it is incredibly effective if it'll help a horse's hip or a horse's knee it, it'll help a dog's dysplasia and it does. Or a dog's arthritis issues are pained. It is incredible. The difference is uh, it, it cost 
and sometimes veterinarians have to get over what how much am I going to charge or what's it going to cost the customer for me to use this but we found with with doctors and there are some videos on our on our Facebook page and our YouTube page from Dr. Marty Goldstein in New York, who uses it ex extensively in his practice. Dr. Alice Maybank, who was on the call originally, has a couple of machines and she uses them in her large animal and small animal practice. And so it's a very growing area to uh, for small animals. Michael, any thoughts? I, I think it's an economic issue. <clears throat> Many, many veterinarians are saying, oh, my God, $20,000, oh, my God, and, and that is an issue. But uh, pet owners, they will spend any amount of money for their animals. I think that the mid-price unit we're coming out with, the $6,200 device, will sell very well to veterinarians, and we'll get just as good a result. So it might take uh, a five-minute treatment per area instead of a three-minute treatment, but that's not, you know, that's not a big thing. So uh, great. Thank you, Michael. Also, another uh, person asked a question it was, Rick, uh, does a vet have to be certified? No, uh, the certification, we started the certification program so everybody, so we can have people on the same page. So we can, everybody can understand from the same perspective what we're doing, how we're doing it. And so someone could understand that this person has gone through this type of training and can explain what the machine is going to do for me and knows how to operate the machine in this parameter. So that's the reason for the certification. Does the vet have to be certified? No. Do the vets that use it become certified? Yes, because it's excellent credentials for them to show that they've taken that step and they are trying to make sure that they're on top of their game when they're um, providing services to their clients. Okay, uh, so with that, we're just about out of time. I like to keep these to an hour, and this will be, we will have a recording of this available. So Michael, I wanna thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been great. Uh-huh, thank you. Yeah, Michael Davis from PEMF Systems, everyone. Uh, thank you so much, Michael. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank, thank you, you so much. Thanks for joining us. Nice, nice spending time with all of you. Thanks again, everybody. Have a great thank you, day. Michael. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you later.